Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. Our guest today is the CEO of Hyatt Hotels, Mark Hoplamazian, a man I've long admired for his approach to leadership. He believes fervently in the importance of empathy towards his workers as well as his customers and authenticity. And it's those qualities that have helped Hyatt make fortunes list of the 100 best companies to work for seven years in a row now. But then the pandemic hit. Hotels were shut down, or if they were open, found most of their rooms vacant. And so the big question for this podcast is, how do you lead with empathy when your business is falling apart and when you're forced to do furloughs and layoffs, et cetera? And we're going to get to that in a minute. But Mark, first of all, thank you for being with us and tell us how the business is doing. Well, thanks for having me, Alan. It's been the most challenging time in our industry in the history of the industry. And the second quarter of this year was a shocking loss of demand across the world. I don't think anybody ever had a scenario that they created that said, what, what if demand went to zero overnight and stayed there for a while, which is essentially what happened. How close to zero were you? We, you know, I think we previously reported and, uh, and it was true that we were down uh, 94% uh, wow. year over year in uh, April. Wow. So that gives you a sense for the magnitude. And uh, the fact is that we all had to recognize that the business environment that we were in was unrecognizable. We'd never been in anything that looked quite like it. And we needed to take a giant step back and really open up all of our senses wide open to understand what we were seeing and what kind of information we could glean from data that we had available to us. All historical data feeds were irrelevant and we needed to find new signal and new data sources. And that's what we turned to. Um, So it's really been a matter of keeping the uh, senses wide open. And how about now? How much of a recovery have you seen? You know, the recovery has been a bit uneven across the globe. Uh, China, which went through the impact of the virus first, was the first to start to recover And we've gone from mid-single-digit occupancies in China in mid-February to occupancies in excess of 50% now. And it's been a relatively steady climb. Of course, there have been some recent outbreaks. Uh, For example, in Beijing about three and a half weeks ago, there was an outbreak and they shut Beijing down for a couple of weeks' time. But it's reopened and now and recovering as we speak. So there are these micro outbreaks and the Chinese government has been very effective at containing them very rapidly, and then you see the recovery follow. And I would say that the recovery elsewhere has been very uneven. In the United States, we had a number of weeks of successive increases in occupancy and in bookings. But the recent surge immediately following July 4th has definitely been a pause in that progression as uh, a lot of markets have reimposed restrictions, some uh, jurisdictions, uh, states, and uh, city governments have actually taken a step back and started to close businesses back down again. So uh, that has had an instantaneous impact on people's travel plans. We've seen the response rate at a all-time high in terms of the rapidity uh, with which people are canceling travel. 
Wow. And so would you say you're halfway back to normal or is it even impossible to generalize? Well, it's hard to generalize. I would say we have a a steady progression. It depends a lot on the type of property and where it happens to be. Leisure demand has actually been very consistently strong uh, in many markets. And a lot of that demand has been drive to. So we've seen people driving to their destinations instead of flying. And the distances that people are prepared to drive has actually increased a lot. So leisure demand is actually quite healthy. There's a tremendous level of pent-up demand. Hmm. Leisure, personal travel, the pent-up demand is palpable. You can you can feel that people are really anxious to get out yeah. and have a change. There's some cabin fever that has taken hold. There's a desire to just have a change of scenery. And also, I have to say that business travel, I feel the same level of pent-up demand there too with less activity, at least in the United States. In in China, on the other hand, I would say a quarter of our occupancies today are business travelers. So it's coming back. Hmm. And I think with confidence in the uh, environment, you will see more of that. Long-term, I'm 100% sure that we are going to see a massive resurgence in travel because there's this incredible human impulse to want to connect and be with people on a personal level, on a business level, and I, I have great optimism that that will be the case um, to get there. How long do you think it'll take to get there? I mean, to, to get to something that feels to you and to your business like normal? The answer is I don't really know. I think it's dependent on confidence. And people need to feel that either they're not taking a great risk by getting on the road, uh, which means a suite of therapeutics maybe that takes the most severe outcomes of COVID-19 off the table, or helps to mitigate the symptomatic profile of the virus, I think that would make a a difference to begin with. I think if you link that to testing and contact tracing on a coordinated basis, that would make another big difference. And finally, the vaccine will, I think, be the massive unlock. Once the vaccine is, or the vaccines are in wide distribution, I think we're going to see a resurgence of demand, the likes of which we haven't seen before. In the United States, as you know, masks have somehow become a controversial issue. I mean, they clearly have an effect, but uh, some see them as a political statement. Are you requiring them in all your U.S. properties? And if so, how do you enforce the requirement? Yes. So from the very beginning, we required all of our employees to wear masks in hotels. And recently, we actually made a requirement that all guests and visitors in our hotels in the U.S. and Canada are required to wear masks as well. I personally view it as the the sort of bare minimum contribution that we each should be prepared to make, an action that has been widely proven to have an impact on keeping yourself and others safe. And so that's the, that was the reason we implemented it, by the way, along with the entire industry. Our whole industry stepped up and said, it's time for us to set a mandate across the country. But if someone walks into, because you know how this is controversial, this has become in certain parts of the country. If someone walks into one of your hotels without a mask on, what happens? Well, we are asking them to put a mask on. And a couple of things. One is that, that human interface can be very challenging. So we're trying to ensure that we, first of all, we're doing a lot of training of our frontline employees. We're trying to engage managers to have those discussions so that we take some of the stress out of the equation for our other frontline employees. And ultimately, if it's in a jurisdiction in which masks are absolutely required by mandate, we might resort to calling authorities. But we has that happened? Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. We expect that the other consequence would be if it were a guest as opposed to a visitor in one of our hotels, that we would have to suspend their privileges of staying at a Hyatt hotel in the future. Yeah. The airlines yeah. have done something very similar to that. And I think it's um, 
It's yeah. just a bare minimum expectation at this point. Yeah. You also signed a letter recently uh, calling for increased testing, which is, is not working the way it needs to in this country. I had a test on July 3rd. It took me 10 days to get my results, which makes the whole idea of testing and tracing not workable. But talk about why testing is so important to the hospitality industry. Why did you feel the need to get out in front on that one? Well, there are so many markets that are now requiring mandatory quarantines for people who are arriving from different places. The UK and many other countries actually require a two-week quarantine for any inbound traveler in the United States. We have markets that have created quarantine requirements for adjacent states even, or from states where the spread of the virus has been particularly high. And that is really having a massive impact, negative impact on travel. The airlines have also undertaken this as an initiative that they're pushing for, which is if you could get a test and have the results available instantaneously and then board a plane to go to take your pick of a market that might otherwise require quarantine at this point, we could actually facilitate travel where you're validating that someone is not positive as they arrive. And so we believe that that will have an enormous positive impact on the incidence of travel. I do think that over time, that has to be linked to some contact tracing mandate that to really create a safety envelope, if you will. The reason why I think these things are important is because yes, the vaccine, the vaccines that are under development, uh, it's very encouraging to see the news that's come out, but um, it's still gonna take some time for those to be in wide distribution. And what's become very clear to us uh, in working with some medical experts that we've enlisted at at the Cleveland Clinic and a couple of other places is that the rudimentary, what I'll call the analog approach to being safe, which is social distancing and mask wearing and being extremely vigilant about it and and ensuring compliance, it works. Um, So I think the idea of getting testing done linking it to a contact tracing environment, but also being super vigilant about what I'll describe as the analog steps that you can take is really, I think, important to opening up travel again. So Mark, how do you think the way people experience your hotels is going to change in the future because of this pandemic? Well, I guess what I'll do is I'll start with how it's already changed. First of all, of course, uh, we created a lot of protocols and procedures around safety and security social distancing and the markers on the floors and the restriction and number of people in elevators, wearing of masks and the like. But beyond that, it goes beyond that because we've also, uh, and our teams have really innovated this uh, at a local level. We wanted to make, we want to make sure that people actually have a great experience when traveling again and rediscover that the joy of travel. So we've looked at ways in which we can repurpose spaces. We worked with Gensler, for example, an architecture firm to help us reconceive of how we can actually utilize spaces. So utilizing uh, rooftops has been a really great thing to do, whether that's yoga or a private dining experience. Offering private dining experiences on your balcony or in your suite or in a suite in the hotel, even if you're not staying in one. Picnic dinners, picnic basket dinners on the lawns. Uh, some of our resorts with live music, very unique experience and something that is not typical. And then we've done a lot on the yoga and gym front, both with respect to digital resources, pulling classes in digitally from local trainers, but also moving gym equipment outside in some of our resorts so that people can actually work out outside, which has been tremendously popular. Yeah. The other thing that's true is that we, like many other industries, have turned to digital to enable a lot of changes in the guest experience journey. And a lot of those changes, like having 
digital access through QR codes to menus or to compendium information in your hotel, but also ordering and paying for meals in any of our outlets in the hotels. Those are things that will have a permanent impact on the guest experience. So those are the kinds of things that we're working on. You're making me want to travel. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, you and I have had a number of conversations about the growing demands from multiple stakeholders, employees, customers, the communities in which companies operate, as well as shareholders. In a crisis like this, all those demands just become louder and more emotional. How can you balance them? Alan, this is actually the time to prove that the sweeping statements around serving a broad cross-section of stakeholders are genuine. I mean, the trade-offs are less acute in a good economy where growth is ample. It's in times like these where you truly have to live the principles, making the right decisions to take care of your key stakeholders in the interests of maximizing the long-term value of the enterprise, even if that comes at the expense of shorter-term quarterly results. So you don't think stakeholder capitalism is gonna slide backwards during this crisis? You think it's gonna move forwards? We all have an obligation as a collective business community to make certain that it moves forward and to prove to those in society who are skeptical of our intentions that we genuinely mean it and that we're doing everything in our power to bring it to life in these most challenging circumstances. Joe, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mark, I want to go back to what I mentioned at the top of this podcast. Uh, I've always had great admiration for the way you approach leadership. You're very thoughtful about it. And you begin from an approach that says, if you treat your workers well, if you treat them with empathy, that's the only way that you can expect them to treat your customers well and with empathy. And I appreciate how seriously you take that. But in an environment like this, when your business falls 94% and you have to do layoffs and furloughs, how do you do that with empathy? It's a great question. There's no question that this has been the most difficult and challenging period of time that I've ever experienced as a person, forget about as a professional. And the fact is that everything was a challenge. The the business itself was unrecognizable, um, but also the challenges that we had to, and the steps that we needed to take right away to manage through it uh, were very painful. And there's a personal human impact that was devastating. And so we went towards that and tried to make decisions as promptly as we could, um, because we think that uncertainty is one of the major drivers of stress for individuals. We then went and said, okay, for any of those people who are members of the Hyatt family who are going to be impacted by this, either furloughed or laid off, we need to find a way to help enhance their safety net from a financial perspective. So we created a care fund for those who had the most acute financial uh, needs. We also stood up within a week of our initial furloughs back in April, an internal app, if you will, which is called Hyatt Check-In, which is a way to stay in touch with people, even if they are off of email, um, so that that sense of community and support amongst their colleagues, their friends, could remain in place. And, And that continues to be a vibrant channel for us. We're getting a lot of feedback from people, both ongoing members of the Hyatt family and those that are have been laid off. 
I think the, the the fact is that that the listening channel has been wide open and absolutely essential to making it through this. How many people are we talking about that have been either furloughed or laid off? Well, at the corporate level, we had to let go of about 1,300 people around the world, which was about 35% of our corporate staffing. At the hotel level, it's unfolding as we speak because a lot of uh, hotel level employees, of which we have about 130,000 around the world, are in various states of either reduced work weeks or furloughs. Depends on the jurisdiction. In some cases, it's uh, government-supported work leave. In other cases, it's a furlough in which we continue to uh, cover medical, but um, they are otherwise entitled to receive unemployment benefits. So the unfortunate reality is that there will be tens of thousands of our colleagues at the hotel level who will end up being laid off on a more permanent basis or a longer-term basis until demand recovers to a point where we can actually uh, hope to reemploy them. Which is not in the foreseeable future. You can't continue a furlough for those people. No, that's that would be the trigger that would lead us to have to take a step of, of laying people. And the 1,300 people at corporate, those are not people you intend to bring back. Those are um, people that we recognize that for the foreseeable future are not really going to have a role by virtue of the fact that, you know, the activity base that the company has dropped so significantly. So, yes, um, it'll be some time before we would see rebuilding the team. You can't do something on that scale without having an enormous impact on the culture that you've built up at Hyatt. I mean, how do you feel about that? Well, I have to tell you that it's been an extraordinary extraordinarily deep emotional experience for me and for a lot of uh, my colleagues. I have been so incredibly humbled by the outpouring of appreciation and care that I've felt from those who are being impacted. I mean, the stories that were the most shocking to me were, I was I was re- really focused on all the leaders that had to have these very difficult discussions back in May, knowing how torturous it was going to be for so many of them. And the emotional outpouring that I heard from them wasn't that it was the hard thing to do, although it was. It was the fact that the vast majority of people that they spoke with expressed sympathy and concern for them mm-hmm. about how difficult they as managers, how difficult of a time they were having. And that to me is just a, an incredible testimony to the deep humanity that exists within this company. And um mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, we, you know, that's a huge number of people and a big proportion of people to have to lay off. We've been able to stay close to a huge number of them because we all, we hope that we will be able to bring them back uh, when yeah, demand comes yeah. back. And so staying in touch and taking the actions that we had to take with as much care as we possibly could muster and making sure that we stayed in touch personally has made a big difference. So in some ways, it's actually enhanced the culture and not been a damage. Fascinating. But it all, that also must speak to the the work you have put into building that culture and that social capital over the course of the time you've been in office. I mean, it, it reinforces the reasons why you need to do it. So when times get tough, you have that understanding and trust from your employees. Yes, I completely agree with that. I mean, in some ways, it's um, it's heartening that people experienced as much respect and care, emotional, deep emotional care as they as they did while being separated. At the same time, it's also, it, it was also an incredible filling of our own cups uh, with respect to our faith in 
what we stand for and what the culture of the company is all about, uh, that we got so much amazing gratitude back, yeah. which is an amazing thing. It's just the expression of grace. Another thing that has made this a particularly difficult period is that on top of all of that that we've been talking about, you have this racial justice overlay that came with the killing of George Floyd. How have you dealt with that? Well, you know, I, I have to say this has been a very intense time. Obviously, the challenge of COVID-19 was uh, one thing. But the whole experience of this outpouring of, of concern and, and focus on racial injustice has been a, a whole new chapter. We addressed it right away with a clear stand about what we stand for. And um, it, was, it was centered around our purpose of caring for people so they can be their best. But I would say that the thing that is true for me is that the COVID-19 period opened up perspectives opened up my perspective. And I I had a very raw kind of emotional state that I was in anyway. And then to have experienced the murder of George Floyd in the way that it came through had a very, very significant impact on me. And it was very emotional. And it led us to really engaging deeply with our own colleagues about their experience. So I've had lots of Zoom <laughs> meetings yeah. with black colleagues to understand what their experience has been. And the other thing, the, the other upside, um, which has been a gift actually of COVID-19 actually, I think if this, I think the reason why this is different this time and that the, the murder of George Floyd will have a lasting impact is because of this incredibly open state of emotion that we were already yeah. in. We were all vulnerable at that moment. Exactly. And that vulnerability is going to allow us to make this personal for us as we experience it and will propel us into the future as long as we maintain that. Will it change the way Hyatt does business? Uh, for sure. I think it, there's, look, every company, Hyatt included, has been committed to increasing representation of minority colleagues and leadership looking at ways we can support the communities and so forth. But my own personal journey in this has been to now, and I'm embarrassed to say this, probably for the first time, really understand how deeply systemic racism is and also how much of an ecosystem it requires in order to rectify. And so I think it's we we are seeing the whole forest now, not just the individual trees of representation or minority content in our supply chain, but seeing how this extends across our communities. And that to me is the major difference. It's been facilitated. The other upside, by the way, of this COVID-19 period is that I've got two adult children at home. And the curriculum that I have been led to through documentaries, books, and articles has been amazing. So my learning curve has been vertical. Hmm. Reduced all of this to three commitments at Hyatt, which is really focused on who we're hiring and promoting. So we do need to move the needle on representation, which organizations we are going to support in the communities. And that will include volunteer expectation, volunteer hour expectations or pro bono work expectations that I have of all of my leaders so that they personally engage in this work. And then finally, on the supply chain front, making sure that we're supporting minority-owned businesses. But it's been very intense. And frankly, I mean, the, the most poignant and most powerful things that I've heard from some of my colleagues are Black women who work at Hyde who have sons in particular and children who've had to have the discussion with them at the time that they are 11 and 12 years old about what to do and how to conduct yourself if you have an encounter with police. And I talked to one of our GMs who I've known for a long time, 
who's got a 24-year-old son, she had that discussion with him at 12. And for 12 years, she has never enjoyed a completely peaceful night's sleep, worried about a chance encounter that her son might have with a police officer. And that's, I have to say, as a white person, that's an experience that I simply have never had. I've never woken up and thought to myself, if I'm, am I going to be safe walking out of my house today? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mark, let me ask you about the issue of executive compensation and the notion of shared sacrifice, uh, which comes up on occasions like this. How have you thought about that over the last five months and what have you done? Well, the thing that we turned to was to recognize that there was so much pain and suffering across our industry and across our company that we all, me and the, and the board and our executive team, felt that we needed to figure out a way to contribute in some way, shape, or form. We created a Hyatt Care Fund, and we created a structure whereby we would forego, I'm foregoing my cash compensation this year, and my and my team is foregoing 20% of theirs for the year. And that money is otherwise going into a care fund for the benefit of financial support for our colleagues. And the same is true for a board. Yeah. I mean, historically, your cash compensation has been a pretty small part of your total pay package. It's more about stock awards. Yeah, that's true. And it's also the fact is that, um, as you know, equity compensation uh, goes up and down with the market and and, um, the value of everyone's equity holdings, so to speak, has been impacted very materially given the drop in our stock price. And I think that's true for many companies that have gone through a very significant impact through the COVID period. And um, I think that the fact is that it is intended that one element of the foregoing of compensation has to do with funding some assistance for our colleagues. The other dimension of it with respect to the stock-based compensation is creating alignment uh, with our shareholders over time. And so that's those are the dual realities that we're that we're managing through. Yeah. So put on your crystal ball glasses, if that's if such a thing. That probably isn't such a thing. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Look into the future here. An awful lot has happened in a very short period of time. It's difficult to suss out what of that is going to stay and what of that is going to go. But what do you see as the biggest one or two changes that are going to come out of this? Well, I think that the power of personal connection and the practice of true empathy in the context of well-being. I mean, so many discussions I've had, virtually all of them, start off with a sincere inquiry about how people are doing. Of course, it's specific to COVID-19 and how, how are you doing? How's your family doing? But that sense of care and real focus and attention, I think, is extraordinarily powerful. And I think that's nothing but good. And I, I hope that that actually stays with us forever. Um, I think that sense of of being paying attention to the person that you're engaging with and seeing them as a human being and understanding how they are truly doing holistically is very powerful. Secondly, there have been a lot of companies that have made announcements about working from home, but also some speculation about permanent reductions in travel. Right. I think it's really early for anybody to make predictions about that, because if you just think of for a moment about the experience that we have had and how our emotional state has changed uh, and evolved over the last, say, four or five months, it's severe and significant. And I think that as we go through the period of time when we're going to have therapeutics and a vaccine in distribution, I think we will go through yet another emotional right. roller coaster on the other side of that. And I think it's very difficult to say 
what that outcome will look like. What I can say is that I think that there's a huge value to having people working together in the same place, whether it's innovation and collaboration or a sense of emotional connectivity and fulfillment. I think it's very, very powerful. So I think these predictions about permanent reductions are exaggerated at this point. Mark Hoplamazian, thank you for being my guest on Leadership Next. Thank you, Alan. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 